So last week we looked at the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Remember, Peter and John run to the tomb, and uh, John gets there first. And they see this evidence of the resurrection. The grave clothes are still in the tomb. And the risen Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene right outside the tomb. And we saw the loving restoration of the Savior who calls her by name. He calls her by name and he turns her weeping into joy and then he sends her out to be useful in his kingdom. And now we're in John 20, starting in verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord, and my God. Jesus said to him, Had you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life. In his name. This is God's word. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you are saying through this portion of your word. Lord, some of us are here full of belief, and yet some of us are struggling dealing with difficult things in our lives, struggling with unbelief. And so, Lord, help us to cling to the simple truth. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak. Father, we confess this morning 
that we are weak, but you are strong. Would you help us to believe this morning? Help us to see the loving compassion of Jesus, even in our doubts and our weaknesses. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if I were to ask you the first thing that comes to mind when you hear that name Thomas, what would it be? I think for most of us, we would say doubting. Doubting Thomas. That's the nickname that we gave him. And that's unfortunate. I think Thomas gets a bad reputation. Because if you think about it, all the disciples struggled with unbelief. That's what we're seeing in these last couple chapters in John's gospel. They did not expect to find Jesus risen from the dead. None of them did. Last week we saw that Mary was weeping at the tomb because she couldn't find the dead body of Jesus. There was nothing on her radar that led her to believe that Jesus had risen. And the same could be said for all of the disciples. And doubting Thomas was actually not what Thomas was called. He was called the twin because apparently he had a twin brother that we know nothing about. And yet we see in this passage that Thomas was struggling with unbelief. He refused to believe unless he saw and was able to touch the nail marks in Jesus' hands and his pierced side. And just like we saw last week, Jesus comes to minister to a needy and troubled disciple who's in a place spiritually where he shouldn't be. Yes, Jesus is the conquering victor over death, and yet he is still the one who with his mighty hand touches the needy and the broken and the doubting. Remember, all the disciples had left Jesus, abandoned him, and fled. And in our passage this morning, we find them hiding out together behind locked doors. They're not living great lives for Jesus in this moment. All of them are living in this in-between, between faith in Christ and unbelief. And Thomas is highlighted as an example and so this morning, we're going to see two things in our text. We're going to see Jesus' commission to the disciples, and we're going to see Jesus' compassion towards Thomas. Jesus' commission to the disciples, and Jesus' compassion towards Thomas. And the main point, well, <clears throat> you know, I normally come up with that short phrase that I hope is helpful for you to remember that kind of expresses the point of the text. Well, this morning, I simply want you to use what John has written. The point of our passage, the purpose of this gospel is in verse 31. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's the main point here. And so I encourage you to memorize this verse, 
to, to highlight it in your Bibles. It's okay to write in your Bibles. Underline it in your Bibles. And if anyone ever asks you, what is the Gospel of John about? You'll be able to say that the Gospel of John was written so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Okay, so let's first look at Jesus' commission to the disciples. Look at verse 1. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, remember, this is Resurrection Sunday. This is the first Easter. And John tells us that it's nighttime and that the disciples were together in a room with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. Now, there's a positive and a negative aspect of this. The positive is that the fact that the disciples were together. It seems like they were meeting together because they realized that they needed each other. The Christian life is not meant to be lived in isolation. That's why it's important to do what we're doing this morning, gathering on the Lord's day. God has warned us in his word to not forsake assembling together as is the habit of some, because when we do, we miss out. And we have the potential of drifting away. The disciples see that they cannot live the Christian life and do what Jesus has told them to do without one another. And so they're together because they know they need each other. You could make the argument that this was the first evening worship service. That's the positive. And yet on the other hand, the doors are locked because they are fearful of the Jews. They're worried about what will happen to them because if they crucify Jesus, what are they going to do to us who follow him? They're fearful. And we can fall into the same type of fear when we think about how the world reacts to Christians and the gospel. We worry about what it will cost us with our friends, with our jobs, with our families. The same type of fear can grip our hearts. And yet, as these disciples are living in fear, Jesus comes and he speaks a word of peace. And remember, the doors are locked. Right? And John says, look at verse 19, that Jesus came and stood among them. Now, the text doesn't tell us exactly how Jesus got into that locked room. But what it seems to mean is that the resurrected Jesus could walk through walls, walk through locked doors, just like he was able to pass through those grave clothes in the passage that we looked at last week. And notice the first thing that Jesus says. This is super, super important. The very first thing that Jesus says to his disciples, the disciples who had left him and fled as he was being arrested, the first thing he says is, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Now, some commentators say that all this was was just Jesus greeting the disciples. 
But I don't think so. I, I think there's a lot that Jesus means in speaking peace be with you to his disciples. For one, I think he's pointing them back to the upper room and what he had said. Remember, as he was going to the cross, he says to his disciples, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And now as the risen Christ is saying, peace be with you, he is saying, I have accomplished everything needed in order to bring about the peace between you and God. Friends, that's what Christmas is all about. Jesus coming in order to bring peace between God and man. Isaiah 59.2 tells us that our sin has made a separation between us and God. And in Romans, it tells us that we could do nothing about it because no one is good. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so God and eternity past planned a way of salvation in order to bring peace. What does the angel and the multitude of heavenly hosts say as Jesus is born in Luke 2? Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. God the Father sent God the Son to be that child born in a manger, in the likeness of flesh, and yet conceived by the Holy Spirit, so that he was both truly man and truly God. That baby born in Bethlehem was the God-man, Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh, who lived the perfect life and died for our sins in order to reconcile us back to God. And now here we have Jesus risen from the dead, speaking words of peace to his disciples. The Apostle Paul tells us in Colossians that he has made peace with God by the blood of his cross. And so how does the risen Christ treat you today? He says, peace. I have come to give you my peace. I have made peace for you. By believing in me, there is now no separation between you and God. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He himself is our peace. And yet until we have peace with God, we cannot have any true peace at all. And Jesus uses that phrase two more times in this passage. You see it in verse 21 and verse 26. Peace be with you. And Jesus is now standing in front of his disciples. He's risen from the dead. He shows them his hands and his side. And when his disciples saw that it was really him, they were glad. 
They believed. And then in verse 21, he says, again, peace be with you. And then he gives them a commission. He says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. He has work for them to do. He's calling them out to to go out and, and make the gospel known. And then we have that strange verse, verse 22. And when Jesus had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't think that this is where the disciples receive the Holy Spirit. Just a few verses from now, they're still going to be in a locked room, fearful of the Jews. But the Spirit does come at Pentecost. And I think what's happening here is that this is a symbolic promise of the gift that will be given later. Some commentator, I think it's a cheesy analogy or illustration, said this is kind of the save the date for Pentecost. Jesus is making the point that the ministry that he is calling these men to can only be lived in the power of the Spirit. And when he ascends to the Father, he's going to send the Spirit. They need the Spirit, and so do we. We need the Spirit in order to do what Jesus has called us to do. The Spirit gives us newness of life. Jesus calls the disciples and us to a Spirit-empowered ministry, and notice he also talks about the message of his commission. Verse 23, if you you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now, without going into great detail on this, Jesus is not presenting that false Roman Catholic teaching that a person or a minister has the power to forgive sins. That's garbage. False. The Bible tells us that only God can forgive sins. But what Jesus is saying is that as his disciples go out and preach Christ crucified for the forgiveness of sins, one of two things will happen. Some will receive the word and they will believe in Jesus and their sins will be forgiven because of what Christ has done. And we have the opportunity to be able to say to them, your sins have been forgiven because you believe. And yet some will not receive the message of forgiveness and they will reject Jesus. And because of their rejection, God will not forgive them. And we are to make clear that they have not been forgiven because they don't believe. And in saying this, Jesus is also teaching us the message, the central message of the gospel. Many people get this wrong. The message of the gospel is not works-based. It's not trying to earn your way to heaven. The message of the gospel isn't being a good person and doing good works. The message of the gospel is not about social justice and trying to end homelessness. The message of the gospel is not a prosperity gospel where there's a promise of a life without difficulties. 
The message of the gospel is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, you can be involved in all the good causes, and Christians should be involved in all the good causes. But in the end, only one thing matters. It's if you believed in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. The central message of the gospel is that Jesus has died for the forgiveness of our sins. He was born to Mary and Joseph and placed in a manger. He came down to earth for the purpose of saving us from our sins. For him to go to the cross and to be able to cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. There's one thing that all of us need more than anything. And that is to know that we have been reconciled with God. And that our sins have been forgiven. And this should make you want to come to Jesus. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Apostle Paul says that on the cross, he who knew no sin, Jesus, became sin for us. What that means is that on the cross, Jesus himself took all of our love of darkness all of our wrongful thoughts, all of our rebellion, all of our lust and selfishness and our greed and our anger and our pride. He took all of our sin and God punishes Jesus in our place. And that's why Jesus was able to tell the disciples, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you believe in Jesus, your sins are forgiven. You may have had a horrible week, a sinful week, where you're not proud of how you lived your life. But no matter what you did, if you believe in Jesus and you come to him in repentance, brother or sister, your sins have been forgiven. Now, if you're here this morning and you don't believe, then your sins are not forgiven. And you will be punished for your sins. But the free offer of the gospel is available to anyone this morning and so I urge you to go to the Lord and say, have mercy on me. Forgive me. And guess what? He will if you look to his son, Jesus, and believe in him. This is the good news of the gospel. The Lord Jesus speaks peace to his disciples. He shows them his wounds, and then he calls them to preach this message of forgiveness in the power of the Spirit. 
We've seen the, the commission to the disciples. Now let's look at Jesus' compassion towards Thomas. Notice in verse 24, Thomas wasn't with the disciples when Jesus appeared to them. Apparently, Thomas was one of those people who skips the evening service. <clears throat> and maybe there's a point being made here that Thomas didn't see the importance of community and was off by himself struggling with the thought of the death of Jesus. But we don't know for sure. The Bible doesn't say that. And yet the disciples go to Thomas and they tell him what they saw. Verse 25. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Thomas is in a low spot here. Think about it. These, these guys were, were men whom he trusted. Men whom he, he went through so many experiences with. They all come to, and say to him, Tom, you're not going to believe this. Jesus is alive. He's alive. We've seen him. And Thomas responds by saying, yeah, I don't believe you. Their testimony did nothing for him. He's skeptical. And so he says in verse 25, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. And some of us in this room resonate with Thomas. Unless I see and touch, I will never believe. You may have your own doubt this morning, maybe because of a painful trial that you've gone through or are going through, maybe because of loss or confusion. Maybe you've been hurt by the church, and you're here today asking God, are you even there? We all go through moments of unbelief. Even as Christians, our faith wavers from time to time. Doesn't that line in the hymn hit you sometimes? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Sometimes we read a passage in the scriptures and it confronts us and we, we see that changes are needed in our life. Maybe there are supernatural things that we read about that are sometimes hard to believe, like a virgin birth or a resurrection from the dead or circumstances just catch us off guard and the fear and the uncertainty of the future, it leads us to question and unbelief creeps in. This is the spot that Thomas is at. And Thomas shows up three times in this gospel. The first time we see him is in chapter 11, where Jesus tells the disciples that Lazarus has died, and Jesus says, let's go to him, let's go to Bethany. And then Thomas speaks up, because Bethany is close to Jerusalem, the place where the chief priests and the Pharisees want to kill Jesus. And Thomas says, well, he's going to Jerusalem well, let's just all go with him and die. That's Thomas, very positive guy. And what's very interesting is that they do go to Bethany, and Thomas sees Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. Thomas had already seen a resurrection. 
And then we see Thomas again in the upper room when Jesus says, I go to prepare a place. You know the way to where I'm going. And then Thomas says, Lord, we don't know the way. And we're thankful for Thomas and his honesty because Jesus gives us that amazing response. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so all throughout this gospel, Thomas is showing us his weakness. And here in chapter 20, we see him struggling with unbelief. Unless I see and touch, I will never believe. I need proof. And if you think about it, what Thomas is asking is kind of gross. Who wants to touch the wounds of a person? But Thomas is just asking for the same experience that the disciples had a week earlier. Jesus appeared before them, and he showed them his hands and his side. But we need to remember that seeing doesn't always equal believing. There are many people who saw this, the signs that Jesus performed. They all heard his teaching, and yet they didn't believe. And Thomas is here saying, I will not believe unless I see and touch. And how does Jesus treat Thomas? Even in his doubting, even in his unbelief, in his rejections of the disciples' testimony and his stubborn refusal to believe unless he saw and touched, Jesus condescends. He stoops down low and he meets Thomas in his weakness. J.C. Ryle writes this, It is impossible to imagine anything more patient and compassionate than our Lord's treatment of this weak disciple. He does not reject him or dismiss him or excommunicate him. He comes again at the end of a week and apparently for the special benefit of Thomas. He deals with him according to his weakness like a gentle nurse dealing with a wayward child. The patience and compassion of Jesus. He deals with Thomas according to his weakness. And we see that in verse 26. It says, eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve but believe. Do you see the loving compassion of Jesus in this text? Thomas and the other disciples had left Jesus and all fled when he was being arrested. And Jesus doesn't come to shame them or to, to yell at them for abandoning him. No, he comes in grace. And he speaks words of peace. And he meets these needy and struggling disciples where they are at. 
Thomas says, I will never believe unless I see the wounds and touch them. And Jesus, knowing that this is where Thomas is at, he comes to him and he says, Thomas, put your finger here. Place your hand in my side. Aren't you glad that Jesus doesn't treat us like we deserve in our unbelief? He's so full of compassion and grace and gentleness. He meets Thomas where he is at, and yet he does speak truth and gives Thomas a warning. He says, do not disbelieve, but believe. And in God's mercy, Thomas believes. We actually don't know if Thomas actually took Jesus up on his offer to touch his hands and his side. But what we do know is that Thomas makes a great confession. Look at verse 28. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. What a beautiful response. At the beginning of this gospel, John begins it with, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. This gospel began with the truth that Jesus, the word, is God. And now we're here at the end of this gospel. And we have this disciple who was just a second ago struggling with his unbelief. And now he confesses that Jesus is his Lord and his God. Jesus is God. And now the question for you this morning is he your Lord? Is he your God? Thomas goes from hardened unbelief to making this great statement of faith in just a moment. This means that the Lord can change you and me. And Jesus wants you to believe without seeing. Look at verse 29. Jesus said to Thomas, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Thomas had the special privilege of being around and, and seeing Jesus in the flesh. But Jesus says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Think about the disciples in that room listening to Jesus speak these words to Thomas. Pretty sure Peter was in that room. Peter heard Jesus say this. Now think about what Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Isn't that the testimony of most of us? Though we have not seen him, we love him. Thomas was struggling. And Jesus 
went to him, knowing everything that was going on in his heart. And Jesus knows everything that's going on in your heart this morning. He knows every joy, and he knows every sorrow. He knows all the questions that you have, all the anxiety that you have. He knows every moment of faith, and he knows every moment of unbelief. And he doesn't have to be bodily present in order to be present with us now. Because he has ascended to the Father, he has sent the Spirit. And remember, Jesus told his disciples as he was giving them the Great Commission, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus knows everything that's going on in your heart, and he is present. And he says, Blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. And so the point of this passage is not so much that Thomas believed, but that we should also believe. Jesus may or may not answer you in the way that you desire, but he will reveal himself to you if you go to him in his word. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know where you're at spiritually, but I do know that what Jesus did for Thomas, he can do for you. And I know that what he says to Thomas, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed, he says to you. John tells us that these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. I want life in his name. I hope you want life in his name. And the risen Jesus this morning holds out his hands and his side to you in the preaching of his word. And he says, do not disbelieve, but believe. These things were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Let's pray. Lord, we believe help our unbelief. We thank you for the great compassion that you showed to Thomas in his weakness and in his unbelief. And we pray that you would do that for us this morning. Have mercy on anyone who is struggling with doubt, honest doubts, real struggles, real honest hurts, questions. We pray that if there's any in this place that have hardened hearts of unbelief, that you would soften them, that you would open their eyes, cause them to see Jesus, and to confess like Thomas, my Lord and my God. And we pray that you would make us a people who walk by faith and not by sight. 
and that by the power of your spirit that you would help us to live out this commission that you have given to preach the message of forgiveness of sins and that Jesus has made peace by the blood of his cross. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.